Hi, this is Peter, and you're listening to the Co-Opcast end-of-year episode. This is going to be a special episode, so we wanted to thank all you MVPs out there for joining us, whether you're a first-time listener or you've listened in the past. Now, if you are a first-time listener, we are going to be talking about a lot of games that we've already discussed this year and coming up with our top list of the year and ranking every game we've reviewed this year. If you have any specific questions about any of the games, please go back and listen to those specific episodes. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Co-Opcast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, it's the end of the year episode. I'm excited. How are you, Peter? You feeling excited, too? I'm doing great, and welcome to episode 16 of Co-Opcast. 16, that is a magical number. <laughs> 16, 16 is not a special number in any way, shape, or form. What are you talking about? Sweet 16, 16 oh. candles, like, and, you know. Yeah, okay, okay. Hey. We're, we're reaching young adulthood? So you're saying we should take our, our first 16 episodes and do like a bracket challenge or something with them? That's true. That's right. We could do Sweet 16 Basketball. I didn't think about that. There you go. Everyone go on Reddit and vote for your favorite episodes of Co-Opcast. We will count them down against each other. <laughs> and then we'll have to do like episode one versus episode 16. And then the winner of that will take on like, yeah. you know. Oh, man, I'm ready. <laughs> the bracket <laughs> challenge. Well, if anybody wants to do that, go ahead. Just let us know, because otherwise we're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, 2017, we're coming to a close, and uh, the first year of our podcast. How would you feel about the year, Peter? You know, I've been playing board games for a long time, ever since I can remember, since I was a kid. And I don't remember a year where we've had this many great co-op games. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I mean, I, I don't know if I was ever paying specific attention to co-op games as much as we have been this year because of the podcast. But for co-op games, and I think for, for solo games as well, and they kind of blend together in some cases, yeah, I, th- I think this has been a fabulous year. Just so many good things on offer, and, and I've even, I haven't even played a lot of it yet. Well, that's the interesting part, right? Like, we've got 16 games we've covered this year, most of which came out this year, and we haven't even touched on every co-op game that came out this year. And there are games like Pandemic Iberia, Pandemic Cthulhu that I haven't even looked at yet. So let's kind of run down the format of what we're planning on covering. First thing we're going to do is cover some comments we've got from you guys as far as what your top co-ops were. Then we're going to go through a list of other contributors. This is a group of contributors in the co-op and solo community that got back to us. And then we're going to get to our top list. So what we're going to look at, this is not every game that came out this year. This is just going to be our episodes. So from episode 1 to 15, we have 15 co-op games. We're going to rank them, 1 being our best, 15 being the worst. And then we're going to end off by talking about our most anticipated games for next year. Yeah, and thank you so much to all our contributors on Reddit and everyone who sent us audio files. You know, we'd love to engage with everybody more. And all the information for contacting us is at the end of the episode. But please tweet us, uh, hit us up on Reddit, send us emails. Uh, if you have questions you want us to cover, games you want us to review, anything like that, we would love to hear from you as our audience grows. So thanks for all your help this year, and we look forward to an even better year going into 2018. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. As Mike said, couldn't be happier with the amount of people that have listened, the amount of people that downloaded. It's amazing. I call it the co-op revolution. I really feel like we're there this year where co-ops are kind of starting to take over. You know, some of the top games that came out this year on people's top game of the year list are going to be co-ops this year. And like we said, we had 15 of them that I thought were great and even more to come. So I'm, I'm excited about the time we're in for co-op gaming. Yeah, yeah. I, I love competitive games, don't get me wrong, but to play with my five-year-old, to play with my wife, to play with my friends, co-op games are usually my first choice, so the more the merrier. Absolutely. All right, so let's get to our list. We actually got pretty good response when asked, what is your top new-to-you co-op this year? So these games are all games people have played for the first time this year. So 2017 didn't have to be a new game. So I'm going to go through the ones that just got one vote. So we got Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, Kingdom Death Monster, Dragonfire, Burgle Bros, Pandemic Iberia, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which probably would have gotten more votes had it been out longer in the Sure, year. sure. Same with uh, Dragonfire, I think. Yeah, probably. Mechs vs. Minions, Flatline, Unlock, One Deck Dungeon, Days of Ire Budapest 1956, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. That one surprises me a little. I thought that would have more votes. Yeah. Rising 5 Runes of Asteros. Summit the Board Game, which is has a cooperative and a competitive mode. So mm. that's probably not something we would typically cover. But hey, it's somebody's favorite co-op of the year. So let's let's give it a little bit of love. And the last one getting one vote was the Alien Queen expansion for Legendary Aliens, which we covered Legendary Encounter Alien in one of our episodes. So somebody loved the Alien Queen expansion. Actually hear nothing but good things about that expansion. Yeah, I'd I'd be into trying that too. I do want to say I was sort of surprised by One Deck Dungeon on there. I think you kickstarted that too, right, Peter? Yep, I did. Yeah, and I I love that game, but man, that is such a solo game for me. I I don't find the two-player experience very satisfying at all, so I love that game a lot, but I would not put it on my co-op list, personally. Yeah, and I know you could even play with up to four with two sets. Yeah, that doesn't interest me much, although at least that's a little kind of... I, I think each time you have an encounter, you, like, pair up so you can choose who your partner is each time. I guess there are some strategic choices there. I, I could see trying that out once or twice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have two sets, so we could certainly do that easily. We just need to get four together. All right, so let's get into the ones that got more than one vote. And then for each of these, we pulled out some comments also. The first one is Black Orchestra. Yeah, so Black Orchestra, we had a few comments. Uh, Peter and I have not played this yet, but the theme, uh, trying to assassinate Hitler, sounds fascinating. One person highlighted the gameplay and the historical elements. Other person described it as the best co-op they have played in any year. So that's from Blaviken Butcher, uh, Reddit user. That's that's pretty high praise. The best co-op they've ever played is how I read that comment. So, wow, we got to try that one out, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely something that popped on my radar. It got as many votes as Arkham Horror the Living Card Game, which surprised that me. That blows me away that that one was, yeah, fairly low. I guess same as Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. I would have put both of those higher. Yes, uh, but yeah, so Artemis86 says uh, Arkham Horror LCG is uh, their favorite to play with their wife. And uh, this is fun. They put on thematic music and role play. 
which I uh, I also do. I I find uh, I have a few uh, playlists now of like hour long Cthulhu style music on YouTube, and I just crank those out whenever I'm playing any games in the Mythos. Yeah, you know it's funny. We never did this in the past, but I think even when we're playing cooperatively now, we've started putting music on more regularly, and I think it does increase the thematic immersion to the game. Oh yeah, definitely, no question. So what was after Arkham LCG? Tied with them is Codenames Duet. Wow. Yeah, so uh, Codenames Duet, got a comment here. My family cannot stop playing it, and hey, neither can mine, so definitely agree. Yeah, so now moving up in votes, we have Magic Maze. Magic Maze? Have you even heard of this one? Yeah, so it was actually in contention for the Spiel des Jahres this year, so it got Ah. a lot of buzz based on that. Basically, the way it works is, and the reason I don't think it would be great for our group is, I believe it's something where four players would be optimal for playing this, because each player is going to control one or two movements in the game. There'll be several pawns, but everybody, like, if I'm the guy that can move players north, then I can only move all those pawns north. So I need somebody else to move it east or west or whatever else. Oh, I see. So you need one person for each direction for it to be optimal. One for each direction, then there are other actions available as well, like pushing a button or going up a staircase or something else. So the thing that's most memorable for this game, from what I've heard about it, though, is you have this pawn that you're supposed to gently place in front of someone if you want them to do something. But from what I hear, people get very frustrated when people aren't getting their clues of what they want them to do. Because again, they're focusing on what they were doing. And now you're like, hey, I need you to move this guy, but they don't know what guy you need them to move. So people start tapping the pawn gently in front of them and then banging it louder and louder because you're not allowed to talk. That's the other hitch to this game or catch to this game. So they don't know at all what you want them to do, but you're basically shouting at them by banging this pawn in front of them. So that'll explain these comments a little bit more, I think, too. Yeah, that that, that sounds kind of interesting. I I do like co-ops that enforce like strict communication uh, guidelines, kind of like Captain Sonar or Hanabi or one of those. Yeah, so uh, the comment we have from Magic Maze, it says it's excellent if your group is right, and uh, I can definitely see it getting heated and tense with the wrong people. So that sounds uh, along the same lines as what you were saying, Peter. Yeah, and that's the comments I heard about it, and that's part of the reason I didn't get it, because I saw it actually at a couple conventions this year, and I thought about picking it up because it's not an expensive game. I think it was in the $30 range. So, I mean, it's not an expensive game. It was up for Spiel des Jahres, so obviously somebody thought it was a good game. So I thought about it, but those couple of elements kept it away from me. But who knows? Maybe we'll, if enough people request it, we'll certainly go into it at some point next year. All right, so uh, what was next? So tied with Magic Maze was Aeon's End. Wow. Uh, yeah, so Aeon's End, definitely one we uh, had some fun with. Scaper Deej, sorry if I said your name wrong there, says uh, Aeon's End has hit the table at least once a month since I got the original Kickstarter in. That's a big deal considering I rotate through playing stuff in my collection pretty aggressively. And yeah, any game that can keep coming to your table with the cult of the new that we're all kind of a part of, I think is a pretty impressive quality. And the other things I've noticed is, and there was a lot of discussion actually that I didn't include because it was a a lot of discussion, but it was talking about how War Eternal fixed some of the problems people had with the basic game. Things like the enemy deck has like level one, two, and three enemies. 
And you basically saw those level one, two, and three cards for every boss. The boss-specific cards were different each time. But now, even if you play the same boss, there are so many level one cards, so many level twos, and so many level threes. Those will be completely different every game, in addition to having different boss cards. So that was another big discussion about Anne's end on there. There's just so much content for the game now. So many different spells, so many different bosses, and they do each play completely differently. So I could certainly see how people can get a lot of value out of Aeon's End. Yeah, yeah, we we played War Eternal a few times. Uh, definitely enjoying all the extra stuff. So so great job there. But uh, what what's following up on that? We must be getting near the top of the list now, right? So we are. There are only a couple more games left, and I'm sure pretty much anybody who's followed the co-op scene can probably guess just because we haven't said these two. The interesting part for me is these games were neck and neck. I actually thought. It was going to be a tie at the end, and then I saw one more vote for one of them. But the number of votes that these got over doubled the votes of Magic Maze and Aeon's End. So these two were by far ahead of everything else that so far has been listed on this list. Coming in at number two is Spirit Island. Ooh, I wonder how these will match up with our list. So uh, a few comments about Spirit Island. One player said it r- they really like how it solved the alpha player syndrome by being too complex for one player to keep in mind what they're doing. And uh, another, the cooperative aspect works so well with each player really having to handle their own things while doing their best to support other players when possible. Yeah, and, and uh, John Waffles says Spirit Island has been a personal favorite and a group favorite this year. And I agree with him. I enjoyed that one a lot, uh, solo and cooperatively, although we'll discuss that a bit later when we get to our list. So uh, if Spirit Island came in second, I'm pretty sure I know what number one is, but hey, let's see if you can surprise me. (laughs) No, I can't surprise you at all. Everybody's number one for the year. Well, maybe not everybody's. I haven't gotten to our list yet, but definitely one of the top games of the year. Number two overall on BGG right now, it's Gloomhaven, and this game took the world by storm. Yeah, not, not much surprise there. What a juggernaut this game has been. Yeah, so uh, a few comments. I like this one from Max Longstreet. I usually dislike both co-ops and dungeons crawls, but the combat mechanics are so thinky and wonderful that I love it anyway. <laughs> what a what a great compliment. Like, literally hates the genres that this game is in and still enjoys it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that came out in part of our comments as well, right? I mean, we weren't glowingly positive about every aspect of this game. But that thinky combat that it has just blew away every negative that we could come up with for it. And it just made it a game that is going to keep coming back. Yeah, I, I, I was like mixed or negative, I think, on four of my five points. But yeah, the, the combat and just the like core mechanics of the game are so, so much fun. It's great. Uh, another one that I kind of go along with, they compare it to Diablo on the PlayStation 1 20 years ago, and I was playing Diablo on computer and PlayStation 1 uh, back then, and yeah, I, I can kind of see that, the fun of combat, the fun of leveling up and getting new loot and stuff. I'm not sure Gloomhaven is the best game, I would say, for Diablo I'm out of the dungeon crawlers we've played this year, but I love the comparison, and that's uh, definitely a lot of fun. So thank you again to all of uh, the Reddit people who submitted their comments about games on Reddit. Uh, we hope we, we did your comments justice, and thanks for putting some games on my radar that hadn't been there before. Definitely uh, into a few of those. Yeah, absolutely. Next thing we're going to do is get some input from some of our contributors. Now, you've heard two of these before. You've heard Colin 
from One Stop Co-op Shop, and you've heard Jason from Every Night is Game Night, but we also have some other contributors from the solo slash co-op community that we got some information from as well. So the first one is going to be from Adam from Rolling Solo. It's a YouTube channel. And Mike, why don't you read his comments? So uh, Adam's top new-to-me co-op of 2017 is Too Many Bones. Uh, Adam describes it as a great dice-builder RPG with many different strategic decisions per character. Every character is played vastly different, and this makes every person playing a vital part of a unique strategy to win. So for Adam, uh, Too Many Bones, top of 2017. Very cool, and thanks for sending us that comment, Adam. Next, we're going to get into a few audio clips that we got. The first one is from Liz from Beyond Solitaire, which is also a YouTube channel. And we're going to play that clip for you now. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And my top co-op game of 2017 is Spirit Island, a game about island spirits who drive invaders away from their land. Not only is the theme great, but I love experimenting with different spirits and power combinations. Plus, everyone I've taught so far loves it too. A lot of people say that this game is difficult to learn, but I say give it a try. You won't be disappointed. Well, more love for uh, Spirit Island there. Definitely a, a popular game this year. Yeah, so now it's tied with Gloomhaven if we can add it to our Reddit uh, users. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I guess we could. I guess we could. Sure. So, yes. Thanks, Liz. First time contributor. We'd love to have you on the show at some point to talk about your favorite co-op games. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. And next is going to be Jason from Every Night is Game Night, another great podcast out there. Hey, Jason. We just talked to him on our last episode. If you haven't listened to it, go do so. (laughs) Yeah, he joined us for our pandemic. We obviously know he's a big pandemic fan, so let's see if that made his top game of the year. Yo, my peoples, what's up? This is Jason from the Every Night is Game Night podcast. My cooperative game of 2017 could have been Gloomhaven, could have been Pandemic Legacy Season 2, but I'm not going to go in that direction because I got plenty of other contributors who are going to tell you all about those games. Uh, but this game is Untold Adventures Await. The designers are John Fiore and Rory O'Connor. The publisher is Creativity Hub. Now, this game operationalizes Rory's story cubes. In my real life, I'm a psychotherapist and I have used the cubes to help people kind of unlock stuff. Uh, kids, people with trauma, people who just have trouble kind of just talking. The cubes have been amazing to help them open up, help them think in a different way. What Untold does is it creates structure around that. It helps you tell stories in a structured way. It takes an hour. Uh, the stories that come out are coherent and imaginative. It involves every single person at the table. Uh, very, very welcoming game as well. I cannot say enough about this game. It has been so important to my work. It's been fun the table just go out and get it right now i love this game so my cooperative game of 2017 is untold adventures await wow uh yeah this is one i've not even heard of i looked at the bgg page and uh it it seems very well rated although it hasn't reached a huge audience yet but i like the idea of storytelling and the way it describes it sounds really fascinating so another one to check out uh if, if i have the time in the new year yeah, and I love Rory's Story Cubes, so this might be something to bring out with the kids. You know, if it's like a next step from Rory Stories Cubes that maybe makes it a little more game-oriented rather than just telling stories, I think that would be a cool next step. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's that's the holy grail I've never quite found with those uh, storytelling games. Because, uh, 
what was the big one? Once Upon a Time, which was probably the first one I played. Like, that didn't have enough game there to keep me interested. Winter Tales, that I think ended up being published by Fantasy Flight and doing basically nothing and going on bargain sale almost immediately. But that one also seemed to have almost no gameplay and, like, active gameplay problems. So if they made a story game, maybe one's already out there. Maybe Untold Adventures uh, Await is it. But I would love a story game that has enough game to really, yeah, keep my attention. All right, so again, that's Untold Adventures Await. So yeah, that's something to definitely check out. All right, so now let's hear from the guy who's joined us twice this year on both the Spirit Island and Gloomhaven review. I think that's a little bit cheating. Why did he get the top two games of the year? Well, clearly they were most popular because Colin is just such an amazing guest host that he, uh, you know, and our, our podcast has such a wide reach that we and Colin created the buzz about those games. You know, you're probably right. So he probably doesn't need any more introduction, but I will anyway. It's Colin. Go check out One Stop Co-op Shop on YouTube if you haven't yet. He runs through a lot of games. He has contests all the time where he's giving away free stuff. Go check him out on YouTube. Great contributor. And let's hear what he thinks. Hello, everyone. This is Colin Dignan from the One Stop Co-op Shop. So my favorite new-to-me 2017 co-op game would be Spirit Island, published by Greater Than Games and designed by Eric Roos. There are five really good reasons of why this game is great as a co-op. One, simultaneous actions. Love that. Everybody's involved all the time. It's great. Number two, you have to cooperate to win. You cannot just play this in your own little silo. You're going to have to work together to be able to win the game, or the game will spit you out and you will lose, which is awesome. Number three, the the AI in the game, so the invaders, are predictable and provide the players with strategic decisions to make throughout the game. Totally worth it, especially in a co-op. Also, though, the AI does have some randomness, which does provide you with the replayability. And then last of all, it just looks beautiful on the table. Whenever I play this and pull it out, new people want to come and see what the game is because it looks so awesome. So those are my five reasons of why Spirit Island is a great co-op game. I think Spirit Island wins now, right? Like, that's, that's two votes for Spirit Island, taking it <laughs> yes. one past Gloomhaven. Colin, as much as he loved Gloomhaven, he just had to betray, you know, the entire idea of dungeon crawlers and, and push Spirit Island over the top. Absolutely. Well, let's see if we keep it there, because based on our list, maybe it'll change again. Oh, that's, that's a good point. We have not weighed in yet. So Spirit Island, in a way, one vote ahead of Gloomhaven. Let's see what the official best co-op game of the year is. Now, getting into the official co-op cast list for the year, we are going to rank every game 1 to 15, starting with number 15. What is the worst co-op game that we reviewed this year? <laughs> Doesn't mean it's bad, just the worst of the crap, because we had a pretty strong uh, selection this year. Yeah, and actually, I'm going to go over that. For my list, I actually put it together pretty easily. I only ended up flip-flopping two games through my entire list after thinking about it for several days. I will say, I think there is a break-off point here, where from game 11 on up... I probably want to own all these games or have easy access to them all. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar place, although I might keep one through nine from my list. And yet, to say a bit about my list, I, unlike Peter, I've had a very hard time with this. In fact, I, I literally changed my, uh, my number four and my number five about two minutes ago as the podcast was running. I'm pretty sure I want to keep them where they are, but hey, who knows? 
Well, and like all of these lists, they're going to be timely, right? Today we may feel this way and tomorrow it might change. But as for now, this is totally official unless Mike keeps changing his list and changes (laughs) it like before the end of the episode. No, no, no. I I think it's stuck where it is. And the other thing I wanted to say is that the list was very tough because uh, I I think more than Peter, I, I play solo games quite a lot. And a ton of the games on the list, a ton of the games we've reviewed this year, I've played a lot solo. And I I tried my best to separate out my solo feelings about the games from the co-op and just give my ranking of the games as pure co-ops. So I think I've done that successfully, although I know it's a little tough. Also, I will say that I might be tending a little bit towards the light side. I was playing a lot more co-op games with my son. This is the first year, I think where Harrison, my five-year-old, has been old enough to really appreciate and request cooperative games. So I'm definitely going to have a little bit of a difference on my list just because of that fact, because so much of my co-op play has been with a five-year-old. Well, sorry, Gloomhaven and Spirit Island. You are clearly not winning anymore (laughs) because of Mike's list. Well, we'll see. All right, uh, who's going to start off with number 15? Why don't you go ahead and start off? All right, so mine, uh, totally contradicting what I just said about games that my son enjoyed, uh, my number 15 is Flip Ships. So sorry, Flip Ships. I'm not a big fan of dexterity games anyway. I found this one even more frustrating because of how you had to flick it up in the air, and I found it almost impossible to flick it into the uh, the mothership. I think I've done it once out of, like, 100 flicks. And since that's a winning condition, I find this game almost impossible for me to play. So that, coupled with my distaste for dexterity games in general, put that at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I could have guessed this one was going to be really low for you. I saw you playing it, and even though Colin was loving it, you're like, yeah, get this game away from me. I can't <laughs> I can't do this. And anyone who has seen Mike flicking would understand why this would be at the bottom of his yes, list. Yes, yes. I'm not the most skilled. This is entirely a subjective, personal opinion. Not saying it's a bad game, just not for me. How about you, Peter? What's at the bottom of the bottom? The bottom of the bottom for me is The Captain is Dead. I'll be honest, this game didn't do anything for me. You know, it's interesting, because Pandemic has a lot of repetitive actions, but I found it, this, you were doing the same thing a lot, but also, it was just hard for me to figure out what the actions were. And that really bothered me, and I think that sat with me. The actions being written on the board, you didn't have a card that told you what you could do. The actions changed throughout the game as things got blown up. This game, for me, was more work than it was fun. Now, I know you and Jerry liked it way more than I did, and specifically, I think the theme is what drew you guys in, and I don't have as much attachment to the theme, so I think, for me, that's why this one fell flat. Yeah, I mean, I liked it way more than you did, so much so that my number 14 is The Captain is Dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I thought you liked it better than that, but I guess not. Well, there's a few things. Uh, Number one, I think it's a very telling detail. I'm the one who owns this game out of this list, and I have not played it a single time since we reviewed it. I, like, played it as much as I needed to to get a review it, and I was like, man, this game... Yeah, it's got a few problems that I'll mention besides what you said. Uh, There's not enough variety in the game. Like, you're going to see the exact same stuff pretty much every game, the exact same items. The previous releases for the previous edition were all standalone expansions that require the base game but have entirely new components and things so it's not even like the expansions will change any of that there's just not enough variety and yeah the actions get samey i don't feel like there's a lot of choice because the the best action is often somewhat obvious whereas like you said in pandemic in pandemic at least you have like long-term and short-term things to do 
So, yeah, I wasn't that big of a fan. It's already on my to-trade-or-sell pile. So, as much as I love the theme, I'd much rather play Space Alert if I'm going to do a save-the-ship co-op game. Yep. And my number 14 is The Dresden Files. So, speaking of light games, I really love The Dresden Files theme. I did like the actions available. I like the fact that I could play it with my son and play it with my wife. But, with all that being said... There was just no variety for me in the game. Every challenge was done the same way. Now, it did vary based on how the cards were laid out, but even that was a random draw. And you could have really good luck one game and really bad luck another game, which shouldn't bother me for a 30-minute game, but there are just better 30-minute co-ops that I'd rather play. So even though I love the theme, I would still play this one anytime if somebody brought it out because it does play so quickly. And I did like what you were doing to some degree. Although, again, it just got repetitive after playing it over and over. So that's my number 14, Dresden Files. Okay, well, uh, my number 13, sorry to Adam from Rolling Solo, but my number 13 is Too Many Bones. I love the idea of this game, but as we said in the review, I found that the character progression was not interesting, and I did basically the same thing every time I played that character, which took away a ton of the variety and replayability for me, even with different uh, villains that you were fighting against. I did enjoy the tactical gameplay. I can't say I didn't, so this is not a bad game, but I didn't really like the components. I didn't like the shininess of everything. I didn't like that it cost so much for all the shiny stuff. I didn't like the horrible rule book the uh you know many errors in the components for this incredibly premium price you're paying and yeah so the the gameplay didn't grab me enough and then add on to that all the production woes and it really kind of brings it down quite a lot for me so number 13 too many bones yeah i feel like we're being real negative on this list and again they're all games i would probably play again they're just certain ones I don't want to own. That being said, my lucky number 13 game is also Too Many Bones. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, sorry, Adam. I'm glad that you're enjoying the game. Don't listen to our review or Mike's talking about how you should level because maybe he's wrong on that, but that did color my gameplays. And when I started doing that, I started winning pretty regularly and having <laughs> less fun with the game. Now, there are certainly things the game does to try to keep you away from building certain ways, like having different monsters and having different bosses. And I agree that the game can vary from game to game based on that, but not that much. You still have a basic way or basic certain things that you need to get and to build. And while the story is interesting the first time you go through it, I think the mechanics get in the way sometimes of the story as well. I I had to look up stuff more often than I would have liked. Even though the rules are fairly straightforward, there are just certain things like how do you unlock chests and things like that where I was constantly looking at the rule sheets or the rule books. So I felt like my attention was on those more than on the game board itself. And whenever that happens, it definitely knocks a game down. So Mike, what's your number 12? Well, we're, we're hewing pretty close to each other, except I don't know where Flip Ships is for you yet, but my number 12 is The Dresden Files. I still enjoy this, and I, I might keep it in my collection, mostly because I love the, the theme. I've read The Dresden Files books many times. And the only thing I do like about this one, so this, I would say, is like where my list starts getting more, more, more like overall positive instead of kind of mixed. I do love the sort of Hanabi-ish mechanic of spending tokens to uh to play your cards 
but then you all have the same pool, so you're cooperatively like figuring out how to make that economy work and trying to give each other hints that you need some more tokens, so somebody else needed to discard for you. So this is one, it's interesting, uh, a lot of these games I would actually rather play solo than cooperatively, but Dresden Files I don't feel that way at all, I think the co-op is much better. That said, it's not as good as the other games on the list, but I think it's a pretty good thing. So I, I, there's, for me, there's a fairly large divide between number 13 and number 12. Because Too Many Bones, The Captain is Dead, and Flip Ships I actively would not want to own and don't really need to play again. But Dresden Files I don't really plan to get rid of, and I would be happy to play that again uh, pretty much any time. Yeah, I mean, as negative as I'm being on this list, I would actually probably play all of these games again. And especially given time, I would bring them all back out. So for me, the divide is which ones do I want to own and have easy access to? And we're starting to get into this point of the list right now where, you know, either this game or the next one, I definitely always want to have access to. And the next one for me is Legendary Encounters Alien. I really like the tension. I really like what the system does. I'm not the biggest deck building fan, as Mike will tell you, but I think this game does a good job of making the deck building cooperative. It's interesting because we're working on a game right now where we're trying to use a mechanic that is not meant to be cooperative in a cooperative fashion. So we're using worker placement in a cooperative game. Well, the interesting part about worker placement is that you're blocking each other. The interesting part about deck builders is you know, hate drafting each other or getting cards you think the other person might want to get before they do. So it's interesting when you flip those things upside down and it's like, no, 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 leave that for me. I think it puts a different spin on things. And so the one thing I will say is this game did make me more tense than probably any other game on my list. And that is the thing that I liked most about it is the tension. Just any card flip could be disastrous for you. And I really did like that. It's just a little lower on my list because... I didn't see wanting to play it after the campaign, and I never did. I know we talked about playing it after the campaign, but for me, the story was one of the best parts about that, and I didn't have a lot of interest in continuing once that story was done. Well, and speaking of uh, not continuing once the story is done, my number 11, and this is one that I guess for most people would be higher on their list, is Pandemic Legacy Season 2. We have progressed further in the campaign, and I am liking it more than my you know, somewhat mixed review uh, the other day. And I still love uh, a lot of the things I talked about there. I'm still excited to play it. But for it being a legacy game, a one-off like you know, set of sessions, a one-off experience, it's not good enough. Like I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pay that much, or somebody I know is going to pay that much for a game that we can literally never play again, it better have some extra emotional oomph and some extra, like, really cool things going on. And maybe they're coming. I I could totally change my opinion once we uh, finish up the entire thing. But halfway through the game, I haven't gotten that yet. So it's still fun. still has great artwork. And uh, I like the, the riffs on the base pandemic mechanics. And I'm not the biggest pandemic fan, so this one is... I'd still say my favorite Pandemic clone so far, but favorite Pandemic for me is not enough to put it any higher than number 11. Wow, that does surprise me it's that low on your list. I mean, I guess I got that feeling. Our group has had a somewhat negative experience, although I will say the last couple games we've played, I've really started enjoying more. It has started turning the corner for me, but we'll get to that later. So my number 11 is Descent with the Road to Legend app. 
So I was actually surprised it was this low on my list, but I looked at every game above it several times and I'm like, nope, I wouldn't play it before that. Nope, I wouldn't play it before that. I think it's got a lot going for it. And like I said, this is definitely one. If Legendary Encounters Alien wasn't the turning point, this definitely is. I would never not want to have access to this game. I'm so glad I have it. We haven't played all the modes yet. It's funny, when you're designing all the time and when you're viewing games all the time, you don't really get to dig into a game as much as you'd like to. So there are still a lot of modes in Descent that I'd like to play. This game may raise higher for me based on how it goes. Actually, Nicholas, my 10-year-old, asked me to play this today. He's like, what happened to this game? Because I was talking to him about playing Sword and Sorcery. He said, well, what happened to this game? And I was like, oh, you like that one? He's like, yeah, I really like that one. So who knows? As I get in the campaign more and more with him, maybe it'll rise in my estimation. I liked what the app did. I liked everything about it. The only thing holding it down a little bit for me was the over-focus in my estimation on combat. Mm. I felt like everything was combat-oriented. You know, Imperial Assault fixes this a little bit. So even though I said last week I like this better than Imperial Assault, I think that's the one thing Imperial Assault does fix. I think its missions are more interesting, at least to the point I've gotten in the campaign. So that's my number 11. My number 10, again, uh, somewhat close to you for some of these, is Legendary Encounters Alien. I'll say that if this was a solo list, this would be a lot higher. I've played the heck out of Legendary Encounters Alien. I, Gosh, I think I have like 30 plays solo with this, maybe more. There was just like a good like month or two stretch where I was playing this multiple times a night. I like deck building more than Peter. I like deck building quite a lot. I think this game has the best story I've seen in a deck building game. And even uh, when you like mix and match the movies, the story is still pretty cool. I don't love the artwork and all of the components. I don't love how some of the characters are represented, but the gameplay is a lot of fun. And really, the only reason this is uh, low on my list, number 10, is because co-op I don't enjoy that much. I think for most deck-building games, it's a somewhat solitary, like, self-focused activity, optimizing your own deck. And so, uh, you know, having to wait for other people's turns and having player elimination and all that kind of stuff makes co-op a little bit weird. Whereas with solo, player elimination and waiting and optimizing, you know, is all taken out as a concern. And I can really just enjoy myself. So, still a really great game. A really solid, cooperative deck builder. The most story-driven one I have seen. But not as good as it is solo. Alright, so my number 10, just spoke of it a minute ago, is Sword and Sorcery. Now, this surprised me a little bit that this made it above Descent for me. And again, this is a right-now list. I have not played this since we've reviewed it. So there's nothing that would have pushed it up, in my estimation. But the story sticks out in my mind so strongly, and it's funny because the story, I think I even commented this on the episode, kind of bothered me at first because there's a lot of riffing off of your favorite movies that you've seen. There are lines stolen from movies directly, and I was like, oh, that's just kind of cheesy and corny. But after thinking back about it, those things stuck out in my mind, and I really kind of wanted to see where the story was going. While I think controlling two characters jaded my opinion a little bit when we first reviewed it i'd like to see how a three character game goes because i think it would be more interesting i think there'd be more tactical choices and so for me where my mindset is this is the only one i think that has a lot of room for wiggle it could go way up or way down on my list is sword and sorcery sitting at number 10 right now yeah another one that has a lot of room for wiggle for me but mostly i think it could go down unless they really blow me away is uh mansions of madness second edition which is my number nine I know I wasn't as big of a fan of this as Peter when we discussed it in previous episodes. 
I do like the story a lot. I like the exploration aspect in some of the scenarios. But some of the scenarios pretend that you're making choices and pretend that you're doing stuff when really everything is pretty much dictated how it's going to work out. I'm worried about replayability. And if you strip away the story and kind of the tension there, you're really left with a pretty flat gameplay experience. But man, the ease of using the app and just the incredible theme of the stories you have there are still enough to push this all the way to number nine, even though I'm pretty negative on the gameplay itself overall. Yeah, I'm so much more positive than you that my number nine is also Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Wow, that's crazy. I thought that would have been way higher. (laughs) Yes and no. The reason it's yes and no is because I do like the game. I think it is a great intro-level co-op game. In fact, if we were to redo our episode zero right now, this might even be my number one way to introduce people to co-op games because the actions are so simple and the story drags you in so much and the app drags you in so much. And now that I figured out how to like project the app onto my TV, if I had new gamers coming to my house, I would set up a table right near my TV and just blow their mind with that game. And I think anybody who played that for the first time would be instantly hooked on gaming. I can't imagine people not being. But yeah, I think this is a great way to introduce people into games. And I think this is a great game to play when you're just brain dead for the night. You don't feel like overthinking things. I think this is a great game to play when you're in the mood for a great story. So I think it has all of that going for it. Am I playing it for tactics and strategy? Probably not. But I'm playing it for a great experience, and if I'm in a mood for that, this is probably the first game that I would pull out. Yeah, I I don't disagree with anything you said, except to say that some scenarios are going to be way too long, and I guess the theme could put off some people. So I wouldn't pull it out with every, like, beginning co-op player group, but I I totally get what you're saying. I think it is an amazing introduction that's going to, yeah, people who've played, like, Candyland and Monopoly, this is just going to blow their minds. Absolutely. All right, so what's your number eight? My number eight, so clearly I had Descent higher because Sword and Sorcery is my number eight. I agree a lot with what you said. Interestingly, I would still put Galaxy Defenders above Sword and Sorcery, although I do think Galaxy Defenders is very much a solo game, like that's the best way to play it, and Sword and Sorcery I do enjoy cooperatively. But Sword and Sorcery is a really solid dungeon crawler. In a great year of dungeon crawlers, so... As, uh, as good as it is, you know, it's still only at number eight, right in the midpoint of my list. I love the enemy AI. I think it's really engaging and fun. It makes the enemies feel very different. I think the story is a little bit wonky. I agree with you there. But the tactics are fun. Building your character is cool. And uh, I'm really excited. You know, we'll see if maybe my opinion improves even more because the season two content, according to an email from Kickstarter today... They said that it's, I think, shipping, or I I think it's like waiting at the dock in the U.S., so maybe within a few weeks I might have uh, the rest, you know, be able to finish the campaign, which should be fun. Yeah, very cool. So my number eight is Flip Ships. Ah, there we go. (laughs) So, yeah, I was actually surprised this one was this high on my list. I actually at one point thought of getting rid of it, but my son almost cried when I talked about getting rid of it. (laughs) Nicholas loves this game so much. I am a huge fan of Dexterity games myself. And this is something you could bring out. There are a lot of clever mechanisms in it. The only thing about the game that frustrates me is if you can't get it in that mothership, there is literally no way to win. I wish there was 
something to mitigate for that because I do think it's challenging. I do basically always play on the game on the quote-unquote harder setting where you move all the ships closer, but you also move the mothership closer because that makes the mothership shot way easier. But for me, this is a game that I know isn't leaving my collection anytime soon. It's something I could play with my kids. And who knows, if there are enough libations involved, maybe I can get Mike playing as well. All right, what's your seven? Uh, yeah. Sorry, everybody, apparently in the world, but Spirit Island is my number seven. Wow, that does surprise me. Now, let, let me let me couch this in a lot of terms. Number one, it although it is very thematic, it's still a quite Euro thematic, and, and Euro tends to be a little bit weaker for me than Ameritrash. But honestly, I just haven't played it as much as I could. I don't own it. Peter doesn't own it. Our friend Jerry owns it, and it's I don't have as much easy access to it. I didn't get a chance to introduce it to my wife yet. So I really love the mechanics, and I love the theme, and it was a very positive review. If I get to play this more, especially with the expansion and kind of expand my group of people I get to play it with, if I get my own copy, I totally see this going up. I just have to be honest that at the moment it does not beat out the other six games above it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fabulous. It's fabulously designed. Such good mechanics. Such great variety in the spirit powers. But can't quite beat out the other six that I'm playing the heck out of, while this one I don't really get a chance to get to the table, for, you know, elements out of my control, to be entirely fair. It's amazing to me that this is so low. I mean, what a year this is. Yeah. When Spirit Island could be number seven, and my number seven is Pandemic Legacy Season 2. It's amazing that these two games could be so low on our list. That I mean, that just says to me what a good year it's been. So yeah, my number seven, Pandemic Legacy Season 2. The game has risen in my estimation. I A lot of people I've been reading about say they like Season 2 better. And I don't know, for me, I liked Season 1 better still. Yes, we've had some major changes. Yet. Now, yes, the game is flipping into a more positive direction for me. But I never got frustrated with Season 1 the way I have with Season 2. So it's funny, for my number 7, I'm saying a lot of negative things. But I will say, the way you do things on the board, the way you level up your characters, the way the world changes, the way the story is going, I think I'm starting to like the story more now that it's taken a different spin. Yeah, Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Definitely, I would play Season 1 first. I personally like it better, but that could change when the campaign is over. But I still think it's a really good game, and you should definitely play through Season 1 to get to Season 2 and play both of them. Cool. Uh, So my number six is Aeon's End. Okay. And I want to say, I don't think it's as well designed as Spirit Island, but it's easy to get to the table. It's really fun. Like Spirit Island, it has fantastic variety, in this case, in the, uh, the enemies you face and like how you have to deal with them. And it's just, it's a blast to build your deck. And yeah, your deck building in Spirit Island as well, and in some ways it's almost a more engaging deck building, but this is fast, fun, and, you know, like a nice little cooperative experience where you're, like, throwing powers at each other and stuff. I mean, really, I, I don't know, it, it, this is a weird one. Like, these two are weird, because they do have some mechanics in common, and I think Spirit Island is the better game. So if I was rating purely on, like, the quality of the game, Spirit Island would be above this one and probably above a few of that are uh, currently on the list above it. But uh, I'm just playing Aeon's End more, and it's it's also really fun, and the, they were neck and neck. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll get to Aeon's End later for me. So my number six, which is obviously higher on your list, is Unlock. We've played all three of the first Unlocks. 
We've now finished all three of the second series unlocks. So, I mean, these games are games that I will play anytime a new one comes out. I mean, there's nothing that's disappointed me. Well, maybe that Nautilus one. That one disappointed me a little bit. It was a little weak. (laughs) But the rest of them I thought were absolutely amazing. I think it is still, in my estimation, the best of the Escape Room games. We have now played the one that is rated highest on BGG, Werewolf Experiment. And I've played a couple of other escape room games since then. It is still, in my estimation, the best of all the escape room games. And I love how creative they're being, and I hope they keep putting them out, because I think it is a great game. So this is a big jump for me. This is definitely a new tier for me. You know, I said there was a tier between 11 and 12, so Legendary Encounters and Descent Road to Legend. That was one jump. And then this is the second jump for me. When you get to unlock, there's no question that this is always going to keep coming out. Yeah, and uh, the the same sort of jump is here for me in my top five, because all of these are games I can see myself playing over and over and over again. Well, in a way, as I'll clarify later. So my number five, I don't think you've mentioned it yet, so clearly high for you as well, is Codenames Duet. And this is a little bit of a cheat, because... I love, love, love basic code names with the uh, cooperative variant. That is almost always my go-to like big group game, no matter what the group is. And and really the cooperative game more often than the competitive game. Like that's the one I'm playing most of the time. So gosh, it's it's so great. I just adore it. Um, and Code Names Duet is just I wouldn't even say it's better, but it is better for two people and. When I'm playing it, I'm probably playing it with Peter or playing it with my wife, and there you go. (laughs) So it's fabulous. I I love these games. I'll play five, ten plays in a row and have a fantastic time every time. So yeah, nothing wrong with any game in the Codename series, but Duet really has a nice sweet spot for that two-player group. Yeah, you're right. You haven't heard it yet, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later. My number five was actually a big surprise for me. I thought this might be pushing one or two. Early in the year, I think you probably would have guessed this would have been my number one or two, and that's Aeon's End. I love Aeon's End. I'm actually surprised it's this low on my list, but there, I mean, all the other games I think are better than it, and it just tells you what a great year it's been. What they do really well in Aeon's End is make every boss make you choose to do things differently. So you have to modify your gameplay based on the boss you're fighting. And that really, that different challenge for every game really is something neat about Aeon's End. There's so much variety in there now. There's so many things you can do with it. And I'm not a huge deck builder fan, as I said earlier, but this one does something special for me. I I think the thing I like most about it is how you can spend money on different things. And that's something not a lot of deck builders do. You can spend money to charge up your special power. You could spend money to unlock your breaches. And you have to do all of these things. And so I like where the different choices come in. And the thing that makes it better for me is that you're being attacked at the same time. So you now have to develop a strategy around, okay, how do I deal with this enemy and still get done all these things I want to get done? So I love how it tears you in multiple directions. That's Aeon's End. Yeah, you know, I I should have said... I had Aeon's End above Legendary Encounters. And yeah, that's that spending variety is such a huge part of that. Because Legendary Encounters, for all its great story and stuff, is still the same as uh, any of the sort of Ascension-style deck-building clones where you just spend your money on the best thing you can afford, basically, and you're done. And Aeon's End is one of the, one of the few deck-builders I've played where it really tears you in so many directions, and that's fantastic. 
Absolutely. All right, so my number four, and this is the weird one. This is, again, like a little bit of a cheat, is Descent Road to Legend. So let me talk about Descent Road to Legend for a moment before I talk about something else. It's totally cheating, by the way. <laughs> totally cheating. Well, no, no, no. I'm, no, I'm so, calling you so out I will say, before we get started. No, no. <laughs> let me explain. Let me explain. All right. So, the, the, yeah, the thing that Peter is referring to is that the Imperial Assault app for me already with as little content it has is better. And as they add stuff, I mean, I'm just a bigger fan of Imperial Assault overall and a bigger fan of the theme. As they add more content, it's going to blow Descent out of the water. But here's the thing, Peter. Of the 15 games on the list, Descent still belongs at number four. Okay. Like, that's not a cheat. That is where it belongs. The only thing is, if Imperial Assault was on the list, it would it would be way higher. Like, it would be, you know, fighting for the top spot, I think, pretty soon. We'll see how it goes. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But, you know, Descent is... I didn't mind the combat focus because it's so fast, and rolling the dice is a lot of fun. Like... Yeah, I guess Fantasy Flight started it with Doom, but that multicolored dice system and the lightning bolts giving you like a little bit of choice in how you do things and combining that with uh, player powers and treasures, I find that more compelling than Sword and Sorcery, even though Sword and Sorcery is a more complex game. And Descent is also quicker and, and faster to play. It's so fast to set up the maps and the app just makes everything so beautifully easy. And the AI, even though the AI in Sword and Sorcery is way more interesting, the AI in Descent is way faster, and I appreciate that. Absolutely. I played through two entire campaigns of Descent with my five-year-old, and he was asking for it and loving it. I played through a whole campaign with my wife, and these were like over the course of just a few nights because it's quick enough you can play like two missions in a single sitting. It's just so much fun. It's, it's really one of the top dungeon crawl experiences I've ever had. And I guess, I don't know if Imperial Assault changes that, because I wouldn't really call that a dungeon crawler just because of the theme difference. But uh, I do prefer the Imperial Assault app, but Descent is is great. I, I played it so much, and I probably will not play it again, but that doesn't mean it's not my number four. You know, I gotta think of the year and these 15, and it's, it's just such a great experience. And the reason I think it was lower on my list is because I was not only thinking of the short term, but I was thinking of the long term with this. And as I go higher up on my list, I was thinking about, will this be a game I'm going to play into the future? And as you get to the top of the list, all of these games I could see playing in five years. I could see playing in 10 years. Whereas I think Descent was a little bit lower. Number one, because of the limited amount of content. Now that Imperial Assault's out, I don't know how much they're going to refresh and give you more content associated with that. Hopefully they still do. So I think I probably do have Descent a little low on mine now that you're talking about it. I need to play it with Nicholas Moore. He just requested it today. So it is a game that I will probably get to the table a lot more, and that may change my opinion going forward. But as of today, that's why I had it so low on my list, was because I was thinking about long-term. I don't know how much I'm going to play it after I get through the campaign. Good call. So what's your number four, Peter? My number four, which is obviously higher on your list, is Arkham Horror The Living Card Game. So I've really enjoyed it. This game started out with strong mechanics in my mind. I wasn't drawn into the story as much in the basic campaign that came with the box. As we got through the first campaign, I still wasn't drawn to the story much. But really, as we got to the second big box expansion, the story has really grown on me. And I've always liked the mechanics. So I love the hand management. I love how you're making decisions based on what you have available to you. I 
I'm not a huge deck building fan, but this one's really easy at this point. And I actually think that might even be a negative going into the future. The more cards, the bigger the card pool becomes. I think it's going to be harder and harder to craft a deck. I think there is a lot of variety in the game currently, even with what we currently have. I think the new mechanics they introduced in the latest big box campaign, like if you're just getting into the game, I don't even know if I would get the first big box campaign. I might skip right to Path to Carcosa because I'm having a lot more fun with it. I think the things they've done with the mechanics, I think the first campaign was good at teaching you the basic mechanics But the way they've stepped up the complexity with the Path to Carcosa, and not only the complexity, but just fix some things I thought needed fixing in the base game, like making you quest more, things like that, not making combat so powerful. I just like that better in the new expansion. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, I keep saying it, but what a great year for co-ops. Number four, Arkham Horror, the living card game. Number three for me, and I I was shocked this got as high as it did. Have you been keeping track of what's left, by the way? Because I, I know what your top three are. You got to guess? What do you think my number three is? No, I haven't. Oh, it's Unlock. I think Unlock. It is Unlock. You're exactly right. Man, it's interesting to look at Unlock compared to Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Because both are, in a way, one-off experiences. Like, I guess Unlock, you can pass on to a new group. Whereas uh, Pandemic, you know, it's, it's, it's written on, it's stickered up, you can't really do anything with it. But oh my gosh, <laughs> Unlock just, I love these. The, the second that one comes out, I will drop everything, everything to play it. Which, you know, maybe means it should be on my number one, but there's only six so far, and they each only take an hour. So I can't really say that it's my number one just because of the limited content and because of the limited, like, scope of the games. But... For for passion and excitement to play them, for me, for my wife, my son, my five-year-old, played the unlock, had no idea what any of the words said because he could barely read. I had to help him with all the math because he couldn't add. And he's asked to play the same mystery adventure four nights in a row just because he wants to experience seeing the cards again and, like, figuring out the puzzles even though he already knows the answer. Like, it's, it's just addictive. Like, I, I wish... I truly wish I could cut out little bits of my brain, like my memory center, so I could experience the unlock games again and again. Like I want the little flashy device from the Men in Black series. Nice. So I could just play it and erase my memory and play it again and erase my memory. They're just so much fun. I, I hope they keep on making these, kind of like Peter said. I hope they keep on making these for years. They are so... It's not even close. The werewolf one we played recently, it was fun. It's not even close. None of the uh, current escape room games come close to touching just the fun and the theme of a deck of cards and a simple app. It's so great. I love this game. Yeah, and the app, if you listen to the unlock episode we had, we actually had to make some corrections right afterward because we had some complaints about the app, but they fixed almost all of them immediately. Yeah. Yeah, And so, I mean, literally every complaint we had about the game was fixed. So we did have an unlock update episode. We haven't done too many of those. I think it's actually the only one we did. But yeah, we had to correct ourselves basically right away because they did such a good job of responding. And there are six games out there. If you haven't tried it yet, 
Go to their website, and may, I'll put that in the show notes this week. Go to the website, do the print and play. Yeah, the print the print and play is great. It's got great puzzles for such like a tiny number of cards. And I actually think there are a couple other print and plays, so I'm gonna have to print those up as well. Oh, all right, nobody saw this, but Mike's eyes perked up. He, he looked like Scooby Doo in those cartoons. Scooby Snack. Let, let's let's stop the podcast. I'm coming over. Let's play some unlock. <laughs> Yeah, Unlock is such a good game. It really is. And I am not shocked that it's this high. I was actually totally forgot about it. You know, that's the interesting part, because when you don't have new ones to play, and that's why it was lower on my list. That's why it was down at six. I think you're right. As far as sheer excitement, if new Unlocks came out today, I would definitely play it before my number one game. There's no question about it. All right, I got a guess for your number three. What's my number three? Codenames Duet. You are correct. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Codenames Duet. Man, this game is just fun. You know, and you're probably right. It's probably a bit of a cheat for me because Codenames is such a great game. But I couldn't penalize Duet for that because as good of a game as I think Codenames is, I think Duet is a better game. Now, obviously not if you've got like 20 people sitting around. Regular Codenames is always going to get pulled out. But if I have four, I mean, obviously two, but if I have four or maybe even six, I think I would still rather play Duet than normal Codenames. So there's just so much gameplay here. Codenames is such a simple system. It's something you could teach to anybody. And the Duet, while being a little bit more complicated, I think it's worth the extra little bit of complication that's added in there. Because for me, Codenames is such a fun cooperative experience anyway that... It's almost frustrating to be on have a winning team and a losing team. And so for me, if everybody can win or everybody loses together, we all experience that emotional high or low together. I think it makes Codenames even better, and I already think it's a great game. All right, you've got two more, and I'll be honest. I haven't been as good at keeping track as you have. Well, you, you should know what they are, man. Come on. Oh, I do know. You I could have know. guessed what my top two were before we did the episode, I'm sure. You're probably right. So I'm going to guess number two for you is Gloomhaven. You're correct. Um, yeah. And it was, I mean, it, I love Gloomhaven. It wasn't even really tough because my number one has stayed pretty consistent the entire year. Yeah. But uh, Gloomhaven, man, what a great game. That card play, man, is just so transcendent and it just makes it so fun. And unlocking new characters is so exciting. It's got like some of the same like feeling as Pandemic Legacy, but with, I think, a better game there. And just the idea that I could play this as much as I've been playing it for god i don't know like nine months and maybe just finish the game then like it's it's it blows my mind the amount of content i will say that comparing my number one and my number two gloomhaven is such a fantastic value like even though it's an expensive game it is a ridiculous value for all the cool stuff you get so absolutely you know isaac you're the man great job and gloomhaven fantastic go play it I'm really curious. I, I think Gloomhaven is probably your number one, and I think you probably have Spirit Island, but I could be wrong. So, You know, it's funny. This was one of the harder choices for me, although when I thought about it, there was one factor that separated these. You're right. I mean, this is one and one A for me, and you are correct that I have Spirit Island as my number two, and the only reason, the only reason is because I haven't played it again. And it's funny, you said the same thing. For a game I like so much, every thought about this game is positive in my mind. Actually, much more so than even Gloomhaven. No, I I agree, I agree. I can't think of a bad thing to say about it, except this one thing. I haven't wanted to play it again. And I don't (laughs) get it, right? Like, every time I think about it, I'm like, wow, that's a great game. Do you want to play it? No, not right now. 
You know, and I think it might be the one negative I guess I will say is the level of complexity of the game. Yeah. Because I said this in the review. I haven't played any higher levels, not because I was losing all the time. In fact, I've only lost the game once when I played it. But I'm scared to go up and level because I'm scared of the complexity of the game going up. And so that's what scares me the most about it. It's actually not that complex of a game to play, but it does make you think a lot. And there aren't many times where I am in the mood for something that complex. But the gameplay is just amazing. And, like, when I think about it, like, the spirit powers are so cool and so fun. And, like, every time I think about it, I'm like, God, that's a great game. Do you want to play? No, not right now. <laughs> and and maybe it is the lack of story. You know, maybe there is something to that campaign aspect of games. That it's, like, part of the reason I want to play Gloomhaven a little bit more is because I want to see what's happening with the story. I want to go on to the next part. The reason I want to play some of these other games more is the evolving story. Even unlock I know when I am done with that game, I will have lived through a story, a one-hour session story. Whereas Spirit Island, I have done some really cool tactical things. When I am done, though, I am in the same place I was beforehand. So I guess I said I had nothing negative to say. Then I thought of a couple of negative things. But it's really hard because there's everything about that game I just love. And I love playing it. And, you know, I may get off the recording and play right now. Yeah, I mean, the, talking about it, I do want to play it more. But it's funny that we're, like, in the exact same place. Like, I have basically nothing negative to say about the game. I think it's fantastic. I just haven't had the time or much of the inclination to play it. And that, that is somewhat telling. Yes. Yeah, and, and, like, you're right. There is no story. There is no driving factor forcing me to play it more. And that's nothing against the game. That's not the type of game it is. But it, it does argue for theme. Like, when you have a game that not only gives you good gameplay, but makes you live through a story that you need to play more to continue. It's like a novel or a movie. Like, you need to finish it. You got that psychological thing pushing you. And, and yeah, Spirit Island, no fault of its own. It does not have that. But a game that does have that, oh, man, Arkham Horror LCG. I'm happy it was high on your list. I wasn't sure if it might have fallen a little bit since we haven't played it in a while. But I love constructing your deck. I don't mind as much as Peter does that the uh, card pool has gotten bigger. In fact, I like that because I'm more familiar with the cards and I look at them and stuff and I've sorted them and I know what's there. So the fact that I can play a very different, you know, like there's five classes, the fact that I can play a very different rogue today than I could like six months ago is really cool for me and and pushes the game higher in my estimation. But the storyline here is fabulous. The variety in the missions is great. The The incredible variety in the characters and the classes and how you're going to play with like a, uh, a guardian versus a rogue versus a seeker. It's all really cool. And more than Gloomhaven, more than any of them, this has the best campaign system. You know, it's not Pandemic Legacy where I don't really feel like it matters that much if I win or lose, except for my score at the end. It's not Gloomhaven where if I lose a mission, I'm like, oh my god, can we just say we won that because I don't want to play that mission again. You know, Arkham, like, I'm excited to lose a mission. Like, I want to play on a really high difficulty setting and just get ripped apart left and right and feel like I'm like some minor character in this horrible, you know, horror story of destruction and just try my best to survive. Like, I think that's fascinating. And no other game on our list has achieved that, where losing and winning just complicates your story and, like, lets you see new things the game has to offer. So that combined with the great mechanics that Peter also talked about, uh, it's, it's my number one for the year. And one of my... 
One of my top games of all time. Definitely by far the best constructed game I've ever played. Yeah, you know, the one thing I was thinking about, because I've gotten back into Hearthstone a little bit lately, and the thing that Hearthstone reminds me of Arkham Horror is, and we talked about this a little in the review, when you make a character, if I'm making my guardian, it's going to look different than your guardian. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I liked about the character creation as well. And that's where I think the replayability becomes even greater is even two characters of the same class, you can build in multiple ways. And I think you could do that currently. And certainly as the the card pool becomes bigger, you're going to have more and more variety. But there's a ton of variety in there now, the way you can develop your characters. And that for me is really neat seeing how the thing you've created performs when put up against these challenges. So like I said, it was my number four, but I I can't argue with it being your number one. Well, and I I can't argue with your number one either. (laughs) I, I mean, I copped out. It's Gloomhaven. When I came up with this list, the thing that stood out to me above anything else with Gloomhaven is, what game am I going to be playing in five years? There's no question I'm going to be playing Gloomhaven in five years. You know, even if they don't come out with any more content, even though it's quote unquote a legacy game, once once I sticker it up, I won't be able to play it anymore. There's so much content in that box. And like I said, the rules are so intuitive. I've just been going through sword and sorcery rules again because I wanted to get that back to the table. And... I'm having to learn them all over again. I feel like with Gloomhaven, again, we haven't played in a little while, but I feel like once we get it to the table, I'm going to be able to start playing, you know, pick it up and and play right away. Everything makes intuitive sense to me with that game. And even if you mess up, because I know some people were talking online about how movement is so complicated for the monsters in that game. Oh my gosh, man. Just to, to wait in for a second. I went on BGG on these threads and I'm like, okay, we're playing a few rules wrong. Who cares? Like, Absolutely. why would you ever want to think this hard? That's like, exactly you know, what I was going to say. Just move yeah. them closer to you. What do you care? Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you get the movement a little bit wrong, it's not going to ruin your day. Like, if they can't attack you anyway, then they can't attack you. Move them closer. Get them as close as they can get. Like, I don't understand why it matters so much. If you want to be that tactical with the game... Go for it, but my goodness, like moving your characters to a perfect position so that they have to attack you because it's a little bit closer, or oh my gosh, just move them toward the closest person and attack. The the amount of rules digging people are getting into this game, this is not what it's about. I mean, Isaac designed the game so that there were no line of sight rules. Like literally, you could shoot through anything except a wall. Like, clearly he wanted things to be simple. Like, (laughs) just get it wrong if you need to. Like, move the character closer and get on with your day. Like, it really doesn't matter that much. So, I mean, maybe that's some people's enjoyment of the game, but it's certainly not mine. I mean, I would rather get that game and move it along and get on to the next campaign and the next mission and leveling up because that, to me, is the cool part about it. But hey, if people like, you know, min-maxing their movement so they get in the perfect position so they can't be attacked by this or whatever, go for it. But for me, move them closer to the closest guy. If they're engaged, they're going to fight that person and get on with your day. So with all that being said, what game am I going to be playing in five years from now? Probably Gloomhaven. I mean, I'm sure I'll be playing a lot of these in five years from now because I do think this was such a great year. I know I keep repeating myself with that, but... I can't remember a year where there were two games this good, let alone, you know, like I said, my top 11, I would happily play over and over again. And my top, you know, six, like I can imagine playing for five plus years. No question about it. It's a a great year. It's a great year. So uh, Arkham Horror LCG, 
Gloomhaven, our number ones. And both of us had Gloomhaven above Spirit Island, so I guess we 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 reverse the ranking again if we're doing that. And no, Gloomhaven no, no. Slightly above Spirit I Island. I think this is what happened, actually, because neither of them was your number one. And so Gloomhaven gets one more number one, so they are exactly tied for the year. Oh, I, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. So Gloomhaven, Spirit Island, I think you can't go wrong either way. They were my number one and two. No, you can't. Those are fantastic games. In fact, you know, I, I might buy a copy of Spirit Island, because if I do, I will play the heck out of it. Like, I know that right now. Oh, you will play it. I mean, and as a solo game, you will play it well, right. way more. Probably more as a solo, which, you know, is fine. So, yeah, a, a great year, and we'd like to end the episode by looking forward to what's coming up next year, at least what we know about so far, because, of course, there's going to be amazing games we haven't even heard of yet. Well, and my list isn't even just covering games that are going to be new in 2018, but stuff that we're looking forward to that we already know about or we may already have that we want to dig into deeper, right? Some things we haven't reviewed yet. So I know a lot of your games are going to be new games because you have more that you're looking forward to that are going to be new, but I have a lot that I'm looking forward to that I didn't even get, get to play this year. So Mike, let's start off with you. What's something you're looking forward to? The, the first one I'll talk about is Seventh Continent. I know, Peter, you know, you you mentioned this in a... Wait, did, did we mention it in one of our old episodes? Or was that a podcast you guest hosted on? I was a guest on Every Night is Game Night, and we did talk about Seventh Continent there. And I talked about it here. I just had initial impressions. And that's all I really still have. I mean, I've played literally one six-hour session. So you've certainly played much more than me. Now, the difference between your plays and mine are mine were cooperative play, and yours have all been solo so far. Yeah, and so that's what I was going to say. I've, I've played uh, Seventh Continent for probably a grand total of probably 15 hours, I would say. Okay. And, you know, as expected, because it's just how I solo games, I've already uh, beaten the initial curse twice, whereas I hear some people played for 100 hours. I don't know what they're doing. But, yeah, it's it's so such a great solo experience. And I would like to... I'd like to try it out co-op. I don't know how it'll go because I just don't know if I can get someone to sit with me like over and over again for 10 hours. It would pretty much have to be my wife and we're both busy with kids and life and work. But I'd like to get it to play with uh, someone cooperatively. And I pledged for the expansion materials and the update materials. So I'm really excited for all of those, which theoretically should be coming out around the end of the year. So, you know, more Seventh Continent is all good for me. I'm excited. How about you, Peter? What's one on your list? Well, I'm going to steal one from you because I don't even know if you're going to go here, but I know it's a game you're more excited about than me, but more content for Imperial Assault. It's been fun so far. We're not even done with the initial campaign, but it's not going to be much longer and we will be. So I'm looking forward to see where that game goes and hopefully quickly over the course of the next year. Well, yeah, that that was going to be my next one. So I guess I won't talk about that because everything you just said is the same as what I was going to say. Definitely excited. You know, I have a ton of expansion, so I'd love to see those other monsters and creatures I have in the game. Absolutely. uh, Get some more campaigns. My next one is kind of building off my number one, but we are halfway through the Path to Carcosa campaign. Well, not, not you and I, Peter, but like the release schedule is halfway through. There's four missions out and four missions coming. And as Peter said, I'm really excited by the changes both in theme and focus and also the new mechanics in it. And uh, I loved, loved the Dunwich Legacy overall. There was like one out of eight missions that was a little bit of a letdown, but the other ones were pretty much all consistently amazing. 
So I'm really excited to see where Arkham LCG continues to grow. I'm not sure, uh, even though it's my number one game, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep on buying expansions after this cycle finishes, just because I think I already might have enough to play and it's a lot of money. But uh, I don't really know. I I definitely want to keep playing it. Yeah, no, I'm excited for you to keep buying it as well. So don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, as long as I'm buying it, why not? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the next ones I'm going to mention, it's a little bit of a cheat. I'm going to put two together. Ones we mentioned earlier today, Black Orchestra, and now Magic Maze. I wasn't going to add Magic Maze on, but because you seemed interested in it, it's definitely raised higher on my two playlists. I don't know if these are games I'm going to go out and purchase, but I want to do at least a little bit more investigating into Black Orchestra and maybe try to find a convention where we can get together and play some Magic Maze and see whether it's worth picking up. Again, the thing I'm most worried about with Magic Maze is lower player count. And to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Black Orchestra, but the fact that a bunch of people voted for it as their game of the year is enough for me to at least have interest in looking into it more. Yeah, cool. Uh, for me, I'll just throw out a few games that I, I don't know like a ton about. Like I haven't read all the rules and stuff, but they interest me. Not all of these are new. Fog of Love, I believe, just came out. It was a Kickstarter, and I think it's just now becoming like at least soon in retail availability. Yeah, it was definitely at PAX Unplugged, so I, I know you can get it, or at least you could. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I love gaming with my wife, and this sounds like a very unique experience to play with a significant other especially, so I'd really be interested in getting that and trying it out. If any of us ever get a copy and build all the miniatures, I would love to play Kingdom Death Monster. I have no interest whatsoever in paying the prices they're asking for, and I don't really care about miniatures enough, especially ones I have to build. I'm just not a miniature guy like that. But if Jerry got it, for example, or you got it, Peter, I would love to play this game because I'm all about solo games like this. And I would love to, like, you know, even play it cooperatively with us and kind of, like, build a little village together. How about you, Peter? You got any final ones? I want to get... So we've played some Dragonfire, but I think it's interesting because we've talked about deck builders a lot. And Dragonfire is a deck builder. It's, It's based on the Shadowrun Crossfire system. I haven't played Shadowrun Crossfire before, and so it's a very different deck-building game because you're not deck-building for the future as much as you're building your deck for right now. What do I need to take down this monster that's in front of me right now? So I think there are some interesting things going on there. We did not do very well. We got destroyed several times (laughs) playing it. And, you know, as you've probably heard from us on things like Pandemic Legacy, that leaves a sour taste in your mouth and doesn't necessarily want to bring you back to the game. And so because of that, we haven't gotten it back to the table yet. But I've played a little bit of solo and I've kind of figured out some things that will help us on future plays. So I'm curious to get that one back to the table, especially because there is a little bit of a campaign aspect to it. So you can level up and get better in the game. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that works and how that looks. Yeah, me too. I, I did have a little bit of a negative experience, but talking about it, I realized we had been doing some pretty poor strategy. So I'm, I'm ready to play it too. Uh, the last one I want to mention for now, I'm sure I'll find more as the year progresses. This is a, a little bit of a, it's a, co-op variant in a game or co-op scenarios in a game but i i had backed the mythic battles kickstarter which is from a monolith who did conan although i think the designer is a different group that just uh worked with them but yeah so i just got about half of my mythic battle stuff the rest is coming on thursday and man the miniatures are beautiful and I don't have to put them together, so yay for that. And uh, we've already played uh, a print and play of the game quite a lot, and we really, really enjoyed the gameplay. And I got the compendium, which I believe has, 
Well, I'm, I'm sure there are at least a few scenarios that are cooperative, but I think there might even be a whole campaign that is cooperative. So we already love the gameplay, and the components are fantastic. So even though it's not a fully cooperative game all the time, I'm really excited to play the cooperative uh, variants of Mythic Battles Pantheon. Well, and we have two games that might be coming out, so let's let's look at those. Hopefully those will be out this year, and then they'll definitely be near the top of my list. Oh, yeah, definitely. Unlikely Heroes coming out by Mayday Games. I know it, at least they're planning on going to Kickstarter. I mean, that game's done. They're just getting the artwork done and stuff like that. And then we're still not sure on the name. So it's Guardians of Tartarus is definitely going to be part of the name somewhere. It is a game coming out by WizKids later this year, hopefully. Uh, again, this one's being held up by us. We've had some design challenges with it, but... Hopefully, we're getting to the end of that now. It feels like it's coming together pretty good. We just need some good playtesting to get done. And then we can turn it over to the publisher, and hopefully that one will be out this year too. So everyone, thanks so much for listening. And especially if you've been uh, with us for several episodes, if you've listened to all 15, 16 episodes plus little mini episodes, that is fantastic. We've had a great time, an awesome time doing this podcast this year. We're really looking forward to uh, new games and new content and fun ideas for the year coming up. But yeah, we couldn't do it and we wouldn't do it if we didn't know people were listening and enjoying it. So uh, communicate with us. Let us know what you think. If you send us questions, we'll answer. If you send us design discussions, we'll have them. We'd love to uh, address the things that you want to hear. Absolutely. And thanks again for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks, which will be next year. So have a great holiday season, everybody, and we will see you in 2018. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVPBoardGames or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Yeah, so I think overall 2017 was a great year. How about you? What are your thoughts? No, I mean, I already said them, didn't I? Okay, never mind. I, I agree. It was a great year. <laughs> you got to listen, Peter. You got to listen to me, man. My words have meaning. We've done 16 episodes. You're like my spouse at this point. I don't listen unless it's like you're yelling at me. Uh, is this going to be a yelling episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can cut that whole part. Yeah, Aeon Zen. Definitely a good game. <laughs> great. Good transition. I'm sure I can smoothly delete that out to make, make it sound great. <laughs> yes no i yes no i say that a lot and i don't even know what that means yes no (laughs) you know that that's uh and the the interesting thing is yes no does that mean the same as no yes or is the second word the one that matters the only way i say it is yes no because i don't really i think i'm saying yes and then i'm like no that's not right I no, yes, really I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> See, I tried to make no yes work there. Not sure if it did. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that works at all. Okay. Forget it then. Yes and no. And this is not yes, no. This is yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> a, a major distinction there. Well, all right. Uh, thank you all. If this is your first episode, uh, 
go listen to some other ones because this might have seemed really confusing. I guess we should have uh, put that it, at the beginning, huh? Maybe I'll add, edit yeah, that but, in later. Like, hey, sure. this isn't a normal episode. Like, go listen to something else first. <laughs> bye bye. Happy New Year!